There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Market House has the cleanest, leanest, juiciest meat and seafood shipped to your home overnight. Expect the service of a local butcher and the convenience of a large supplier. Unlike many online butchers, you can grab just one meal's worth or lock in for a subscription box. Choose from grass-fed and grass-finished beef, American Wagyu, free-range poultry, grass-fed lamb, wild-caught king crab, seafood, and more. For 15% off your first order, use code COUNTRY at checkout. Just visit MarketHouse.com. That's M-A-R-K-E-T-H-O-U-S-E dot com. And use the code COUNTRY. Hey, this is Tyler Jones, and you're listening to The Element Podcast. What's happening, all my woods people? We are sitting, and it is warming up. We're sitting here in Texas. It's warming up, I mean, quickly, dude. Where, where did spring go? It was cold this morning. Was it? And last night. Well, yeah, I guess we didn't have to run the air conditioner last night, so that's pretty pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty dude. nice, but like, I ran today, and it's like summertime hot dude. outside, but it's not, temperature-wise, it didn't reflect that. I guess it's just the humidity and stuff. Yeah, I think it's humidity. Oh, man. We've been having so many rains. It's uh, <laughs> It's been kind of like... I don't know. It's been one of them things that, like, <clears throat> when you get rains this time of year, you're like, catfish, man, going to be in the creeks, right? Mm-hmm. Well, then you have a baseball game you have to coach that night mm-hmm. or something like that, and you're like, okay, well, there's no point in it raining then. Oh, case in point, tonight I'm going to baseball games when I could probably be going and, like, filling the freezer full of catfish. Yeah. But speaking of that, aren't we supposed to do some uh, big catfish fishing? Soon? We are. I was thinking about that this morning. I mean, that's I mean, happening. It's, it's coming up in about a week. We need to get lines out and stuff for that. So that's exciting. Let's do it. Man, Next there's week, nothing dude. like catching like some stinking big old giant tadpole looking eighty pound catfish. Flatheads, dude, cool. just like you, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So, uh, dude, what's been going on, man? Uh, with me. Uh, <clears throat> couple things of note okay um i have been farming you're a farmer i am a farmer farmer smith farmer smith all right so i grew up watermelon farm and i've probably talked about this a little bit on the podcast and i'm trying to get a little bit back into it i've got a half acre of watermelons which a half acre isn't a lot of land but when you talk about watermelons 
It's a lot of watermelons. More uh, than you can eat. At more least. than you can definitely eat as a family. <laughs> more than we can probably eat as like a network. Mm. So there might be some sales involved this summer, which will be nice because I'm going to probably help fund my uh, um, philanthropies or whatever you want to call them. The fun, <laughs> the fun things I do with it. Um, and uh, so yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I actually have a bunch of plants at home in sales. Uh, that I need to get put in the ground as soon as it dries out enough to do that. So. In cells, not sales. No, not in sales. <clears throat> I'm not in sales. Um, <laughs> it's like the George way of saying it, you know. I'm in sales at the house. Uh. <laughs> so, so your your sand or your soil <laughs> yeah, is sandy. perfect for this it kind is, of stuff. It right? is a watermelon place. The place I purchased actually was a watermelon farm for many years. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, That's cool. And then I think they stopped farming in like 2004 or something like that. So it's been fallow since then. Nothing has been done with it. Maybe a little bit of shredding here and there. So we should be popping this year. And that also means that elsewhere where there is not a watermelon plot, that there's some nice native warm season grasses that are coming on along with some forbs. There's also some non-native sourdough infestation going on over there, uh, which... I don't, it's not the actual word for it. I think it's a uh, curl dock or something like that. Anyways, the um, stuff you can chew on. Yeah, stuff yeah. that's sour when you when you chew on it. But uh, I just figured out recently that it's a non-native. I looked it up and oh. yeah, but it's like infested. But the good thing is that kind of dies out in midsummer when it gets real hot. Mm-hmm. But anyways, uh, all that's going on. Great little wildlife area. And then come this fall, once the watermelons start producing, it's probably going to end up being a late season food plot where those watermelons are. How does it? How does it? Does the watermelon plot help in any way, like help that help the soil? Food plot? Amend, like amend the soil with the watermelon. Yeah, something? does it do anything to help the food plot next year, or is it just like, uh, it's just tilled up and ready to no, go? No, I think it's just because it's tilled up and ready to go, <clears> because, I mean, the watermelons, pretty much, I don't know the, a crap ton about this stuff, so don't take my word for it, but if it's not a legume, it's not helping the soil very much. Mm. I think it's a, that's about what I know. You know, like soybeans or what, peanuts or whatever. Peanuts, dude. You should do peanuts, man. I know. People Deer do love peanuts. peanuts. Yeah, do they eat the tops at them, too? Uh, I don't know for sure what what all they eat. I just know that when we hunted out uh, Memphis, Texas way, there's a lot of peanuts up there back then, and they would be all out. You got to dig peanuts. a peanut, right? In underground? Yeah, they're roots, I think. Yeah. yeah. How weird is that? Yeah. It's kind of strange. Legumey. Legumes. <laughs> Legumes. That's how. That's another a, Georgia thing. No, what's it? what's his name? Um, Carl. No, not Carl Miller. Um, the it other might guy. Be. No. No. Uh, 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 <laughs> I know who you're we're talking blanking. about. But QMA guy. He's not actually QMA, but no. he's he's at um, he's at one of those schools. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. The guy who who says just burn it, right? That guy. <laughs> uh, man, why are we blanking on his name? Anyways. Ultimate. Yeah. So. Um, that's going on, and then this past Sunday, we, as a youth group, um, I get to be part of the youth group since I'm the youth minister, so it kind of helps me be young, you know? Mm-hmm. And sometimes I get in a young state of mind, and I decided to run a sprint foot race against uh, one of our high school football players, whom I was uh, about to pull ahead of, and then I started to pull a hamstring and had to pull up, so I did not uh-huh. beat him to the van. Uh, and really jeopardized my September hunt. And it really made me think about um, what I should probably be doing and what I should not be doing. And running sprints without stretching is probably not a good thing to do. So uh, I ran today for the first time on it. I let it rest for four days since I've done anything leg-wise. And uh, felt pretty good. I took it easy. Didn't run real fast. Didn't run real hard. Um, 
but I could feel it. It was sore. I stretched it really good, but I think that it's it's a it's not an injury. It's just a pain. So I just kind of yeah. got to watch it for a couple weeks, and I'll be back to normal. Craig Harper. Craig Harper. That's right. <laughs> Dr. Craig Harper. How could I forget? Yeah. Dude's a G, man. Yeah. But he loves to tell you you're wrong. I know, dude. He, he does say legumes. It's his favorite thing. He is. Tell people. He's one of those guys. No. Yeah. It's one of those guys when, like, <clears throat> he tells you you're wrong and you don't even care because he's like, oh, you're right, Craig. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're the best. You know everything. Really, you do, though. Yeah. <laughs> Not yeah. sarcastically. Yeah. But yeah. that, um, that injury, like, really. I mean, you you and I have talked about it a lot, like with the whole September hunt coming up. Um, like, there's a lot of preparation that goes into this, and some of that is preparing your body, um, and some of it's preparing your gear, and some of it's being prepared mentally. And I think that those are all three things that we have to start thinking about because for some reason, I've been really keyed in on gear and hunting strategy, but there's a lot of other stuff that goes into it as well mm-hmm. you know and this is this is where like having you around kind of helps too because you think of things that i don't always think about and uh vice versa so. really yeah you like don't what? think so i don't know i don't feel like i feel uh, like you thought of everything no you think about stuff like um <clears throat> like for instance like the camera equipment stuff oh, you yeah. know like oh who needs to carry what and how it needs to be done and what production looks like for this deal because i mean let's be honest um we're the element right we're not just tyler, tyler and casey hunting so we want to record this thing and get it uh like to the best production value we can, yeah, and that's why um, <clears throat> Anthony Warren, who was on the podcast last week, he's actually going to be joining us on that hunt because he's a G when it comes to running the camera. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, <clears throat> we're going to do Tyler and I actually kind of have a strategy with this, right? Mm-hmm. So what's the breakdown of the dudes here? Well, so I don't need Anthony's <clears throat> stats. I mean, more like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, six tool. Uh, no, we're uh, we're basically in in it when in elk hunting. It looks like to me, and I'm no expert, but from you and from the things I watch on YouTube, it looks like to me the best way to get elk to come in when they're bugling and to call them into range of a bow is to have a guy calling like 60 yards behind um, the hunter. So the hunter, you know, can, once that elk starts committing and coming, the hunter can be ahead of the caller so that the elk is still expecting that there's elk like 60 yards ahead and just kind of bulls his way through the through the brush and gets shot at 20 yards, right, mm-hmm. and doesn't have a clue what's going on yeah. instead of coming to like 45 and looking out behind a piece of brush, you know, mm-hmm. and stopped there. So that's uh, kind of like the dynamic that is probably going to need to happen. So um, <clears throat> what we're going to do is probably I'm going to be that guy, even though I don't know how to call elk. I know how to call some things, uh, but elk is not something I've really done a whole lot with. And You can just do a mallard <clears throat> hail call in the tube, and it works. <laughs> you think? <laughs> I, can, no, I can make I'm that kidding. work. I'm kidding. No, uh, so, yeah, so I'm going to be learning to do that this summer and working with KC on what he likes as far as calling goes, and then we're going to kind of uh, talk about some scenarios and I'm going to be ready to be that guy who's 60 yards behind hopefully able to see KC still through the woods maybe because I would like to be able to shoot a little mm-hmm. video but um and Anthony's going to be the over-the-shoulder guy yeah so. so that's what you talked about is like you'd be kind of the bridge between hunter and videographer and then Anthony be concentrated solely on hunting I mean on video and mm-hmm. and me be concentrated solely on hunting because I, honestly like part of what we do a lot of times is um I think our hunting skill suffers a touch because we're trying to do video and hunt. Like or this vice year, versa. Yeah, this year I would have killed a buck on Texas public land in early November 
if I hadn't been trying to get it on video. Yeah. And that's something I'm I'm <sighs> willing to I'm willing to accept that, right? Yeah. Like that I'm not complaining about it. It's right. just the way it is. Um, and it, it's vice versa too though, like cuz I look at it like there have been times, especially so like in our rutcation type hunts that we've done, um where we're like day 4 um it's been a struggle mm-hmm. nothing's happening very good uh for us right now and then all of a sudden there's there's a buck you know what i mean and like mm-hmm. he's there and so we get footage of him he doesn't come within range and then he goes and then nothing happens the rest of the day well crap we haven't put any footage down today because yeah. we're just like tired and we're hunting and we're trying to kill something instead of trying to v- make a video out of it mm-hmm. and you end up getting like this kind of cool clip with no story around it. Yeah. It's like, well, look, I don't know how we, sh- <laughs> we just put a 10-second clip on like some dad would, you know, mm-hmm. on YouTube, you know, and leave it there for 10 years. I don't know. But that's kind of like it is. It does It does affect – both things affect the other thing. And so having an extra hand there mm-hmm. and having uh, designations of like – which Casey is still – it's his story. So he's obviously – he's got production thoughts. And he's going to have them during the hunt too. But I just want him to not think about the camera when it comes to killing a, bu- a bull because this is a this is a tag that may or may not draw ever again as a as a non-resident. Yeah. So. Yep. And that's why even now I've been trying to put a lot of thought into the hunting strategy, and it's a thing that I'm not quite prepared for because I think I really know. And I'm confident in saying this. I know how to kill OTC elk in Colorado. It's not what we're going to hunt at all. Mm-hmm. And, in fact, that's why we uh, reached out to the guest that we're going to have on the show today, yep. uh, Mr. Cody Rich of the Rich Outdoors. You may have listened to his podcast before. If you haven't, you probably should because it's a great Western hunting podcast. He has a ton of guests, a lot of, um, I would say, like obscure guests, guys who are like the killers and maybe not so much the media types. Mm-hmm. So those are the dudes who the media types that you see on TV and stuff spewing information, those are the dudes they learn their stuff from, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. so like these dudes are legit. Anyways, Cody's pretty legit. Um, killed a bunch of elk. He's a herd bull hunter. So um, really kind of more that idea or ideology of like what I need to be thinking about. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping that, um, amongst other things, he can kind of enlighten us a little bit on like how I should approach this hunt because mm-hmm. that's just something that I just wasn't mentally prepared for even drawing mm-hmm. at this point in time, you know? So it's like, uh, yes, all, all options are on the table, but I don't even know what those options all are at this point in time. Yeah. Well, maybe we can get, gather some knowledge here and then go with a new fresh mindset into the map scouting and start to define those options a little mm, bit. Man, so, I hope so. You you uh you ready to get him on the phone? You got anything else? Nah, that sounds good. All right, let's do it. All right, so now on the phone we have Cody Rich from the Rich Outdoors podcast. Cody, what's happening in your world lately, man? Oh, not a lot, man. Ready uh ready for the snow to go away. It's, uh, <laughs> I was going to ask. Dude, y'all are still uh kind of cold up there, huh? Yeah, you know, it's Montana weather, like tease you and be sunny for for a week or so and then just bam, snowstorm. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> we uh we were up in you're in Bozeman, right? Yeah. Yeah, we were in Bozeman uh August last year. Yeah. And uh there was snow. <laughs> there like <Yeah. laughs> the, the snowstorm came in. I mean I was like I've never had an August where it was 50 degrees as a high, you know? Yeah. That's pretty epic, too. Actually, we were uh, we had a float trip on the Yellowstone that morning, and we drove in, 
and like all you know all those mountains around there were just all snow covered you know and our guide is like walking around the water barefoot and it's like 45 degrees like dude you are crazy (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's really nuts and even like during september like during hunting season sometimes you'll just get hammered with you know six eight inches of snow and it's like god Man, crazy. That's a different world than where we live in right now. Uh, we basically live in Mexico. So, <laughs> so yeah. You guys are out of Texas, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're in Texas. We're in East Texas. It's really um, closer to Kansas than it is uh, like Mexico. So, yeah. But we're, we got a big state, you know. I'm sure you can relate there in Montana. But you're not originally from Montana, is that right? No, originally from Oregon. Yeah. So yeah, kind of. I'm a transplant. Everyone in Montana is, and it's like, <laughs> oh, it is what it is. It's kind of funny because like I come from um, like eighth generation farm in uh, in Oregon, and so like everyone knows you or your last name or like small town type stuff. And so then I really feel like that asshole when I moved to Montana. I'm like, yep, I'm the new guy. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. how long does it take for the new guy? Because I feel like there's constantly new guys. So sooner or later, you're like a veteran, right? Like you, you, you like get your tenure and you're fine. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure like actual locals will just scoff at this, but like my buddy <laughs> Ben, he's been here for like 11 years. I'm like, Oh, so you're like a native. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. No kidding. That's cool, man. So, uh, how'd you end up there, man? What's the, what's the reason you're in Bozeman instead of Oregon now with your, all your connections back home? Well, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of reasons, some political and some non-political. But I think at the end of the day, like one of my uh, one of my mentors growing up, he was a uh, he was actually a mason at the time and just did a lot of bow hunting. And uh, crazy enough, you know, he ended up getting uh, some skin cancer and always wanted to be a guide. And so he basically had dropped his uh, masonry company and just to be a guide, you know, like he didn't have a whole lot of time left on earth. And so he just like, I'm doing everything I want to do. And so he ended up becoming a guide moving to Montana and um, he ended up living for you know a number of years with this cancer, but, you know, lived in Montana. So I'd come out and see him and he lived right on the Jefferson. And it was like, man, this, this is the life I was supposed to have, you know, just living <laughs> on the river and white tails running everywhere and, you know, elk and moose and all kinds of, you know, critters. And it was just like one of those things like, man, I want to, I want to live there someday. And I think, uh, it was always a someday thing. It was never like, oh yeah, I'm going to make this plan. It was just a someday thing. And then, uh, you know, we were in Oregon and uh, my girlfriend and I at the time, you know, it was kind of one of those deals where sh- we were looking to move. Um, she was looking to go to school somewhere and it was kind of like, well, let's just, let's just go to Montana, you know, and do that. You know, she can go to school there. We can test it out. If it doesn't work out, we can always move back. And, you know, I think that's, that's some of my biggest advice is I get a lot of people ask me about this, you know, it's like, Hey, you know, how do you just make the jump? And I think when you make it a temporary jump or, or put a put a uh, an ability to kind of reverse the the decision. It makes it a little bit easier. So if you say, you know, hey, we're going to move to Montana for five years and we'll see how that goes. If not, we can move back. Newsflash: No one ever moves back. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, when you said he was a Mason and was into archery, I was thinking Freemason, and I was like, okay, is there like claws like in their little organization <laughs> where they can't shoot guns and animals and they have to use bows? <laughs> I didn't quite understand, but I'm, I'm with you now. So, like, so would you say like, like a bricklayer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, would you say that like that dude was probably like your biggest hunting inspiration or mentor? Or do you have a few you kind of look up to there? 
Um, you know, it's interesting. There's a, there was a few, um, my dad was a big hunter and he was a big elk hunter, but he didn't really do a lot in archery. And, uh, unfortunately my, unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, you know, my dad passed away when I was really young. And so I was lucky enough that there was a lot of people that kind of stepped into, to that role. And so I had, you know, a lot of mentors growing up. If, if you call them that, you know, a lot of people that, that helped just because, you know, my dad, died unexpectedly when I was 14. And so there was a lot of people that were able to step into my life. And, and, you know, my dad was a big hunter, uh, but he was pretty young when him and I had to together and he taught me most of what I know. I'll, I'll give him that. Um, but then there was, he didn't archery hunt. So then my cousins stepped in. I had a lot of cousins that were archery hunters and, you know, they'd always make it a point to take me out. And so like, in a way I didn't have anybody, but at the same time I had a lot of people. And so I kind of came up, you know, learned hunting in a, in a different way, just because I had a lot of people that were stepping into that role. But again, I really had nobody. So there was long stretches of my life where, you know, my mom would just drop me off. She didn't know anything. So she was like, I was like, I want to go hunting. And she just dropped me off at some gate. That's cool. And, <laughs> <laughs> and like she'd be like yeah and we didn't have phones like that she's like yeah I'll, I'll be back to pick you up at like you know at dark or whatever and so that was it like i would just like go and like that seemed normal to me um so you know <laughs> dude my mom would have made me wear a life jacket and you know like had it all kinds of different gps's and everything my mom would never have done that so that's pretty cool so there's a funny story just because it's turkey season and there's a lot of people turkey hunting like my first ever turkey I don't know, I was 14 or 15 and, and, uh, we saw these birds. So we have a farm, uh, it's a pretty small farm. It's about a thousand acres and, you know, a lot of grass seed and stuff, but my mom's obviously raised there, grew up there. Um, and the neighbor farm, there was like turkeys out in this field and we dri- drove, we drove by and I was like, Oh, there's turkeys. And mom's like, well, do you want to hunt them? I'm like, yeah. You know, so run back to the house, grab my gun. And she drops me off like in this, it's just a field. And, uh, she's like, yeah, I got to run to town. I'll be back. <laughs> and so, uh, and long story short, it's like, I tried calling these birds from like, you know, 500 yards across the field, ended up just like stalking in a ditch line between these two fields, shoot this bird and I'm hiking back and not thinking much of it. And I get back and there's a truck there and the, and there's a guy and he is just furious and he's like chewing my ass up and down. Like, <laughs> why'd I shoot this bird? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, no, like my mom told me I could, blah, blah. you know, like just a little kid. And this guy is just running me through and through. And I'm just like head down. Like someone just killed my dog. And, uh, my, <clears throat> my mom rolls up. And it's like the funniest thing ever because, you know, she, this is Grant, who's like a neighbor to the farm or whatever. And she was older than him growing up. And so, you know, she just gave him the run around. She's like, oh, Grant, you know, blah, 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 blah. Like, it doesn't matter. It's an effing turkey. And like, just choose him up and down. And so like, here I go from like, just thinking I was in the biggest trouble in the world to my mom just told the farmer like, yeah, don't worry about it. (laughs) (laughs) Nice, dude. Your mom was a boss, huh? (laughs) <laughs> yeah she put up with a lot that's for sure <laughs> yeah yeah that's cool man it's crazy the it's crazy to all the different people that we get to we get to talk to on podcasting and you know the same i'm sure but just the different backstories and how people come to come into hunting and come to be what they are based off of just different twists and turns that that life has kind of taken them through and and um you, you have another really interesting story i feel like um and I don't know it that well, but, uh, you know, it, it talks about it on your website, which I did some research and, and, uh, you ended up at, at some point, according to certain doctors, you weren't even supposed to be walking today, right? 
Yeah, yeah. Um, so fast forward from 14-year-old poaching turkeys out of the neighbor's farm. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, uh, I grew up, did a lot of motocross and things. Um, so I raced quads um, most of my life. And even at that time, I was really big into quads and had track. And, you know, my my poor mom, she just, like, didn't have a clue, like, what I was doing. Uh, <laughs> so pretty much just let me do whatever I wanted. And so, you know, I was doing a lot of racing and then, uh, you know, got kind of grew into, I guess, you know, you're a little bit older. I think I was 22 at the time. Um, and he was doing a lot of racing. And so everyone always assumes that I ended up breaking my neck doing that. But ironically just happened to be actually got back from a trip and show up and, you know, friends and all that, just swimming at the local, at this pond. And I actually never been to the pond, but I kind of knew of it. It was, neighbor's pond or whatever and so there's a floating dock out in the middle of this pond and i show up and essentially was just going to jump into the pond and and swim out to this floating dock that everyone was kind of hanging out and jumping off and swimming and stuff and it turns out that the floating dock had five gallon buckets of concrete that had held it down well one of the buckets must have had an air bubble in it or something but essentially it was it was on the bottom of the pond but it would just kind of float around and and you know wasn't attached to the the floating dock anymore and so Mm. essentially when i jumped off the dock i just ran and jumped like i was going to swim out to the to the floating dock um and ended up hitting that chunk of concrete and uh yeah pretty life-changing moment so to speak but ended up um shattering my neck uh into six pieces or so and left me paralyzed uh, which was a, you know, like a real come to Jesus moment for me, you know, sitting, uh, sitting there being paralyzed and then life lighted and long story short is, you know, ended up in the hospital for quite a long time and put a cadaver bone in there. Um, Whoa. we call it, we call it Frank. So, <laughs> <laughs> so Frank, my cadaver bone. Thanks, Frank. I don't know if that's his real name, but we're going with it. Did they did they um, use a male bone? Do you know, or, or like are cadavers like genderless? I'm I'm gonna go with yes. Yes, uh, <laughs> I don't, because science. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I, I I don't know. That's a good question. Uh, maybe it's uh, Franklin. It. I don't know. What's up. <laughs> uh, but yeah. So anyway, they, you know it's just a weird time when you're going through that. It's like this trauma and you I mean, you get life lighted, you got 12 different doctors and all this. And I'll never forget like asking a doc, you know, Hey, what's, what's my odds? Like, what are my chances? Like what's going on? You know, you're just clueless and you're jacked up on painkillers. Um, but the doc was basically like, yeah, well, you know, you're never going to walk again, but hopefully we can get your arms back, your arms moving. Um, and it was like, man, that hit home. Cause at the time, like my two worlds were racing four wheelers and hunting. Like mm-hmm. obviously both of those don't do well from wheelchairs doable. Mm-hmm. And there's some guys that are definitely crushing it, but it was like this huge eye opener to me. And, um, and I think that's kind of obviously, played a huge impact on how I see the world today. And, you know, and, and a lot of people are like, man, you, you know, you go after everything you want to do. And I mean, yeah. Cause I've sat there and like your entire world gets stripped away from you, everything you want to do or dreams or aspirations. You're like, Oh yeah, well now I have uh, this new life and that can be tough. And so, you know, fought through that. And, I, and from that day, like from that moment, I remember that moment 
of someone telling me, you know, Hey, you're never going to walk again. And right or wrong in my head, it was like, yeah, you are 100% wrong. I'll figure this out. And I, you know, could have been the drug stocking for all I know, Frank, <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but you like, you have to have that mindset. And I think yeah, like from that day, I've always had this mindset of like, yeah, I'll figure it out. I, it might take a while, but I'm going to figure it out. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's important, but at the same time, like, you know, another piece of that is acknowledging that, like everything could be stripped away. So you might as well give it a shot. And like, you know, whether it's moving to moving to somewhere you always want to live or going on a hunt you always want to do, or like, you know, like a lot of people will look at like sheep hunting and be like, Oh man, you know, that's just not in my cards. And I just, it blows me away. Like, how can you say it's not in your cards? Like to at least go sheep hunting once. And so like all of these things, like I just have a little bit different perspective, I think, than a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's one of the things that bugs me is like so many people are like, Oh, well, I'll never, I talk to people all the time that are like, I'll never be able to go on an elk hunt. I'm like an elk hunt. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's not that crazy. Yeah. Like, you know, like, or I'll never be able to go on a sheep hunt. And granted, like, I don't think I'll ever kill the North American 29, nor do I really, nor do I really care to maybe, you know, like, but like at the same time, like, it's just not my goals. And so everyone has their own goals, but I, man, I see so many people that are like, it's just not in their cards. You know, like what? Mm-hmm. Like it's an outcome. It's not impossible. Yeah. What did the, so what did the recovery look like for you? What was that process like? Um, so, you know, you go through and, uh, after they put Frank in, which was about a nine hour procedure, uh, it's just, it's a lot of rehab and a lot of, you know, just living. Well, interestingly enough, so I go through the surgery and, uh, they take me to a different hospital, which is like a rehabilitation center. Mm-hmm. And you go there and you're just surrounded by people who have been told they're never going to walk again. Mm. And like, I don't know if there's a more negative place, but that's the most negative place I've ever been in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, just like people that basically took that as the gospel and they were like, yeah, we're all net. We're all never going to walk again. This is like where we learn how to drive wheelchairs. And it was like, man, it was a struggle. Cause like I spent the next month in this place surrounded by people that were just pure negativity. And I don't want to like talk bad about the nurses because they're great. And it's just, the environment that they're dealt with on a day to day. But a lot of them were even like, you know, it just felt like none of them really believed that anyone was going to walk again, which is like, Hey, you know, here's, here's what you, how to live in a wheelchair. Essentially it was like, I remember like, Hey, what do you do? Like, well, I do a lot of backcountry hunting. You're like, yeah, that's never going to happen again. Like, yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. And so like nothing against them, you know, they're just doing their job and it's a day to day thing. Um, and, but I will say like, man, it was, it was tough to overcome like all that when you're surrounded by people who basically are trying to tell you like, it's not going to happen. And you're surrounded by people who believe it's not going to happen. And it's like, man, this is like a drag. So I spent the next month. Um, and I think like, I remember the first time like one of my toes wiggled, I was like, yeah, game on, like, this is it. And it was a long road from like wiggling your toe to walking, (laughs) but, (laughs) uh, but it was, you know, like, that's like, you just gotta have that positive mindset. You have have the attitude of like, Hey, this is, this is going to happen. It might take me years, but we're going to figure it out. Mm -hmm. And granted, like some people, like I, I don't want to say that it's all hard work and dedication because I know there's probably a ton of luck involved. Um, I also ate a lot of blue M&Ms, so that could be it. I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, that definitely is probably it. Yeah, that definitely helps. You know, <laughs> and, and, and like you're saying, you know, kind of on the, the more serious side, though, you know, it's kind of like a, uh, a will of God that, that you actually had an injury that's had, that you had the ability to overcome, but... 
like you had to have that mindset or, or something or a passion that drove you to overcome it. You know, I could see a world yeah. where if if maybe you weren't or you were rooted differently, uh, you may still you may still be in a wheelchair just because you didn't have something that drove you. So do you think that like I don't know if hunting wasn't in your life, do you think that you still would have had that drive to, to overcome that injury? You know, that's an, it's an interesting theory and I, you know, whether it's racing or whether it was hunting, like you always put yourself in bad situations and, you know, through hunting, I remember growing up being really little and, you know, maybe some of it is the fact that I was in those positions by myself. Like I remember killing deer by myself and having no, like literally I can't move this black tailed deer <laughs> like from where it is. I'm like, it was just struggles, you know, and you're fighting through that. And so like adversity builds character, builds strength and all mm-hmm. these things. And so like, I think it steps up, right? Like, you know, hunting will teach you a lot about adver- adversity and, you know, being a kid growing up and hunting by myself all the time, like there's a lot of struggle and a lot of adversity. And uh, granted, those aren't nearly at the scale of learning how to walk again, but those are precursors, right? And like going through adversities in life always build you up for the next thing. And so when you look at everything as like, and maybe that's, you know, something you only see in later in life, you know, in, in hindsight, but like all these things building up, they, they tend to grow you as a person. And then, you know, each thing is just another step, another step, another step. And so now it's like, I look at some of the backcountry stuff I do and, and like, you know, like I almost look at it like, man, there's, there's nothing like, I can't wait to see what the challenge is. And I think a lot of people right or wrong tend to get into situations and then give up because they just haven't built that up yet you know and mm-hmm. I, maybe i was forced into it at a young age i'm sure you guys go through, this, through the same thing like you're on a hunt you're like man this absolutely sucks but <laughs> at a certain point you've already been through that before so you know that what's on the other side you know what it looks like if you quit and you know what it looks like if you keep going so you tend to keep going and mm-hmm. so like i think everyone has that everyone's just at different levels right yeah yeah, yeah. sure and i think you know the, i guess kind of the harder you push yourself like to do backcountry stuff or whatever it might be uh, I, I think about the backcountry thing because I haven't done it a lot, but the little bit I have, like you either keep pushing or you die out there. You know, it, it's yeah. it, it, not to like make it seem like crazier than it is, but literally, if you don't make it back to the truck, you're not going to make it out there forever. Uh, you know, so if you just put yourself in in those situations, you, I mean, man, it, it'll make you pretty tough whether you want to be or not. Yeah, you know? and I, I had a I, that's a good point that you make there because I had a um, a couple of years where I was uh, doing some film film type stuff, uh, in the whitetail world with a couple other guys. And, um, I can remember us thinking, um, and I talked about this this weekend actually with one of these guys, um, thinking like, man, what a grind that season was. And, you know, we were walking like, you know, two thirds of a mile to the stand or whatever, you know, three quarters of a mile to the stands and we were sleeping in a house, you know, like, and I'm just looking at it now, like, uh, I've done just such harder things, you know, and I'm like, it's, uh, really what we did back then was not a grind. You know, I can remember them saying, man, it was just such a grind. And, and I didn't really think it at the time, uh, either, but like now I really know, like that was pretty much cake. And so I can make a good point that, uh, just kind of like, going through certain uh, situations, just kind of going through the fire, you know, it, it's, uh, it hardens you, makes you a little tougher for sure. Yeah. But I'll, I'll say like, 
and I don't like this is definitely not to talk bad about any whitetail hunters because that's a different, a totally different grind that I couldn't do. Like if you told me to send them blind for 12 hours a day for the next week, I don't know that I have the mental toughness to do that. <laughs> yeah. Like, and that is being completely honest, but that also stems like you get those guys that can do it. Like that stems from a life of doing that and like just kind of working up to that. And so in the same way, that is totally different but very applicable i think it's like you to be able to sit in a stand for a week straight like man that gives me more anxiety being like oh you have to hike across the frank church wilderness alone with no food i'm like man that seems easy like, yeah. you want me to sit in a tree in iowa like uh i don't know if i can do it dude <laughs> yeah no kidding dude especially when it's cold it's tough or hot i'm really fair weather guy if you can't tell um yeah. anyway so at what point um at what point do you go from this guy that really, really loves hunting, um, has this life-altering injury, uh, starts to recover, um, and then decides, well, you know what? I think I can. Uh, I think I have a good story here. I'm going to start a podcast and a brand here that uh, that kind of teaches people different uh different journeys throughout this thing and different uh you know and it's helpful in a lot of ways to to a lot of people that may be trying to get into that elk hunt that they think they can't uh they can't go on you know well that it's funny you phrase it like that because it's almost the opposite of how my brain thought about it okay. um yeah no realistically like i never never wanted to be a personality of any kind um when i so i was doing a lot of hunting I was working for a company and I started my first company, which is actually, I just helped the company I was working for basically kind of expand one of its lines or one of the things we were doing. And so I put that on the internet and started down this like entrepreneur journey, which honestly, I think I was probably an entrepreneur since the day I was born, but never really had the opportunity. And so I started working with this company. And so I built kind of my, I call it my first company, even though I was working for someone else, because I did end up buying that project from them uh, and kind of making that my first company. And so I, I went down this entrepreneur road. And, and at the time, like I was just loving hunting, was doing a lot of it, uh, started hunting out of state, kind of started hunting all over. And I just, you know, I was working. So I had a company I was building and I didn't, I didn't have any social media. I didn't have any of that stuff. Uh, didn't really care. I was just hunting and working. And like, that was, that was my passion. Um, for a number of reasons, I saw some writing on the wall. It was like, uh, you know, this probably isn't the best company, you know, maybe there's something else I could do. Uh, and I, it was like, man, I, I would love to be in the hunting space because who doesn't want to get paid to, to go hunting yeah. or have a company in that, in that field? You know, I'd rather, I, w I was in a different industry and I was bow hunting the whole time. So it only made sense that I combined the two and maybe they would help each other. And so long story short, and, and another part of it was really that I had reached a point in hunting where it was like, I had kind of surpassed all of my mentors in a, in a certain way, not to down talk it, but like they have their own, own, um, you know, benefits or whatnot, but I had passed a lot of that, you know, magazines were like the top thing at the time, but man, magazine articles were like, so paper thin, you know, it'd be like how to kill a big buck. And you're like, yeah. that's it. <laughs> you know, it was like a thousand words on how to kill a big buck. Like that doesn't explain anything. Um, and so like this idea for a podcast, I had been listening to a lot of podcasts on entrepreneurship and whatnot. And no one had a hunting podcast. And I was like, man, it would be really cool to just be able to sit down and talk to, you know, people like 
I don't know, Dan Evans about elk hunting or whoever, and just pick their brain because podcasts I saw were like this great way to get so much more information. And so it, I guess them from a selfish need of like me wanting my own information mm-hmm. and like growing and networking into this new industry. And so it was a hundred percent selfish if you really think about it. <laughs> and so like I started the podcast and it did, you know, it took off and it did really well. And, and then that transitioned into, you know, what is next and which ended up being backcountry fuel. And I'm, I'm really good at just adding companies and not necessarily deleting any. So now <laughs> I just have all three, <laughs> three, but, uh, you know, that's, and it still is like, man, that evolved, I guess, into what you're talking about of inspiring people, which I saw, you know, like I, I didn't think, and I still don't think I'm any great hunter. Um, I just do things, you know, I've probably done more than some people and I've not done as much as others. So like, I'm, I'm still just learning for me. It's all about, you know, I created this podcast to learn and to grow. And essentially I've seen that help other people and inspire other people. And this, which is really cool. And that's where it starts to see, you know, all these people that are like, man, I just dream of going on an elk hunt someday. And I'm like, what? Like go like there's season it's coming up. It's in like a couple months. Like you just go, it's not, mm-hmm. it's not this thing you put on a pedestal. Yeah. Uh, and you know, and I'm like, I'll be going three different seasons or whatever. Um, and so like, it, I think those kinds of things always morph, you know, you like mm-hmm. it starts as your, for yourself and you start to see the impact that you have on other people, which is really cool. And I, you know, I see how many people, man, I get back from season and I see these pictures of people holding their elk and like, man, I can't thank you enough. Like you inspired me, you helped me. This is all you. And I'm like, it's not all me, man. Like I wasn't even there. Um, but it's really cool to see people, you know, be successful in something that they never thought they could just do the information they pull from, you know, what I'm pulling essentially from other guests as well. So, mm. and I'm sure you guys kind of get a little bit of that too, you know, like it's, it's crazy. And I think people tend to put some hunting on a pedestal, um, Western hunting in yeah. particular. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and that's kind of what we try to talk about on, on our show. Some is just like, we don't really have somewhere we're trying to send guests or trying to like really enlighten them on one thing. I just hope people like feel like they can take that, whatever that next step is, Yeah, you know, whatever that next <laughs> step, like the thing they're kind of scared to do, like go ahead and do it, you know, yeah. because there's, there's so many opportunities out there. And like you're saying, like whether that's, uh, you know, to go elk hunting or, or to maybe like, uh, just hunt somewhere else in your state or try public land or whatever it is, you know, it's kind of like sometimes just people need that extra encouragement. And it's so strange. Like you're saying, like when somebody does send you a message and they're, they're like, man, look what I killed, you know, and this is partially because of you guys. And I'm like, dude, that's bigger than what I killed this year. And I feel like an <laughs> idiot in the woods just running around chasing my own tail most of the time. So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be, it might be ungrounded. I really appreciate the praise from you, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. but, yeah. uh, well, so, and you, it's funny cause you see that, like, I'm not, I see people that'll hate on stuff on the podcast and they're like, you know, like, Oh, that guy doesn't know anything. I'm like, none of us know anything, dude. <laughs> you know? And if you, the day you think, you know, something like you're probably wrong. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, so like, I think we're all kind of on a journey. Like we're just in different stages. Like there's dudes I look up to. And I'm like, man, that guy freaking knows it all. And I'm sure he looks at someone else and thinks they know it all. And there's yeah. someone that looks at me. And so it's like, you know, it's just a journey. I think we're all growing as, as it goes. So, but I guess I got a question for you guys, it's not to take Ooh, over your podcast. But unprecedented. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. What, so what, what things would you guys say you hold on a pedestal or fear? What like adventure, like you feel like is out of your wheelhouse, man. Um, honestly, I'm going to, I'm going to venture out of the hunting world. I would love to go to the Seychelles and fly fish the Seychelles. But that's like so 
unattainable to me it seems like just that that you know uh indo-pacific like just making that trip making that journey and dealing with that it just it, yeah it's just monetarily i feel like i can't reach it and, and then just like it just it's so far away i don't know I, it, just that's kind of the first thing that like jumps to mind you know like it, as far as like just the uh um, you know, just being in the outdoor space, at least, you know, that's just kind of the thing. And it's like, and, and talking to you, it's kind of like, man, is it really unattainable? Or am I just not letting myself do it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, I'm sure you guys have felt this way, but have you ever felt overwhelmed? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. I <laughs> so mean, like, just work or projects and things. And like, you feel overwhelmed. And then for me, it's like when I write out exactly everything I have to do, sometimes that's more overwhelming, but for the most <laughs> part as a whole, it's like, I'll write out, you know, say this project seems unattainable. I'm like, okay, what are the pieces of it? You know? And like, I really break it down into the pieces. Okay. What would it take to get that done? And like, when you really draw it out, I think most things are pretty attainable. Like yeah. it's not as overwhelming as it appears as a whole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I feel I've, I'm kind of the same way about sheep hunting. I, like it's been forever. It's been like the pinnacle of what uh, I consider something that I want to do, I guess. And, and so, um, just the, and I've been, I've been on two sheep hunts as a camera guy, but, um, stone sheep, but you know, like I just, I want to shoot a sheep, but like, I feel like if I do it once, which I want to do, and I don't know if I will or not, but like, if I do it once, I want it to be a bighorn. I just think the bighorn are the coolest. And so, um, but then I look at that and I'm like, man, the price tag on that, uh, is pretty high. And I, and I just haven't been building enough points really to, to probably draw this thing ever. So it's yeah. uh it definitely feels uh overwhelming unattain- unattainable to me um the sheep deal does for sure yeah no i think that's most of it but i think um we did a podcast one time with one of my good friends who's like a financial planner mm-hmm. and uh it's pretty it's pretty interesting when you really boil it down to like how much it costs over you know per year over like 20 years or 25 years mm-hmm. so like how old are you right now 31 so 31. So if you're like, well, I want to do it by the time, um, 51, even, you know, which is not that old, you could probably almost go till like 56 or so. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, you have 20 years to plan that. And what's that look like? If you really mapped it out over 20 years, it's really not that expensive, right? right. You're like, shit, I could probably sell firewood every year and just <laughs> yeah. stash away extra funds. Right. You know? Yeah. Or something along those lines. Yeah, so, it makes sense. Uh, it's, it's an interesting conversation. Like, I'm the, I'm the same way. Like, man, you look at it, and it's, like, pretty daunting Yeah. Um, to be like, man, I, I don't know if I'll ever get there. But I think when you really just start to lay the pieces out, I'm like, okay, how would I do it? And, you know, another interesting conversation is, like, what if I – so you say let's just break out over, say, 10 years, and it's a $20,000 hunt just for easy math. Uh, so now I have to make $2,000 a year. Like, how could you make an extra $2,000 a year? It's not that much money. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. In the big, like in a year scheme of things, it's, it's, you know, yeah. it's doable. You know, you start breaking it down to months and weeks or whatever, you know, you what, put, yeah. you put away, what, what would that be? It would be, uh, how many, how many 2000? So I can't do math fast enough, but it's not that much per week. If you take, if you get a weekly paycheck or whatever to put back or at least maybe, uh, you know, for me, like uh, to kind of put it on a personal level, like I stopped dipping snuff about uh, 2015. Well, that's ten, yeah. that's ten bucks a week I save right there. You know, so yeah. <laughs> or more actually, uh, fourteen. But you know, it's just like little things that you can do in your life, and, and if you take those small steps, they turn into big steps later. Right? You know, at least that's the that is the uh, the idea of it. You mm-hmm. know, it, but it takes a little bit of like 
uh, personal like fortitude to actually take that money and put it towards what you want it to and just not let it get absorbed. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I think that's a, that's the problem is everyone puts it on this like, oh, it'll never happen. So they just keep dipping stuff. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There goes your sheep fund. Yeah. And then, yeah, you know, you, you die of lip cancer when you're 15. You don't ever get to go to your sheep fund. <laughs> yeah. you know? It's like, yeah, it didn't dang. matter anyway. <laughs> Cody, what does it look like to uh, have you ever, or did you get to talk with this guy or anybody else about um, like, um, getting uh, some kind of a loan essentially to go on the hunt and think, well, if I'm going to go on a sheep hunt, I kind of would like to be 30 instead of 50 uh, and then pay that over the next 10 years or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think we did have that conversation and I've, I've had this conversation with other people too. Uh, as a financial advisor, I would say Mike, I think his advice was along the lines of probably a bad idea. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I can see the argument for it, you know, and like, um, you know, if you're, I tend to, I tend to like lean on things that are like, okay, how else could we do it? Yeah. <laughs> Worst case scenario. But like, if I was, you know, diagnosed with cancer or whatever, yeah, of course I'm going to take a loan out and, yeah. uh, you know, maybe I'll pay for it later. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Yeah. yeah. You uh, know, how you, uh, you uh, asked what you thought was unattainable and if like, we're going to be like quite frank and this is probably let the you know kind of our listeners in a little bit on our personal lives like man it seems pretty unattainable to try to make a living in this outdoor space you know if we're going to just get out of hunting like hunting goals or whatever and i think that's why it's interesting to talk to you about this stuff because i mean it's it's what you do right And, and you know for us i don't know it just seems like um maybe because of where we're located or whatever, it just seems like it's such a long, hard road to, to get there. So, I mean, like what's your, what's your secret or like what, what was unique about what you've done to set yourself up that way? Man, that's a, that's an interesting question. It's like, it's so deep that I don't know what time yeah. to get into it. But like, so there's a lot of pieces to that puzzle. And I think, um, I, I would say, you know, a lot of your listeners, a lot of my listeners, a lot of people are like, how do I make money doing what I love? Yeah. Um, and that's like the core, right? Yeah. And I can make the argument that that's, you know, that's great. And, and anytime you become an entrepreneur, you have to really, really love it because it takes, twice as much, 10 times as much work as you think it's going to. And so what happens when you see like 80% of businesses fail, right? It's because they ran out of drive. You know, no one wants to work for a dollar an hour for the next 10 years. And Mm -hmm. that's just tough. Um, And so like the number one thing I think is like, make sure, you know, you have a passion for what you do. But at the same time, I look at the hunting industry and sometimes I think there's good ways, there's ways to make good money. But it's also a very, very crowded space and you have a lot of really good competitors. So it can be very tough. Um, so I tend to look at things like, you know, my first company was in the ammunition world and I'm not, I mean, I I love guns like Western guns, but I'm not like a shooter. I'm not a three gun guy. You know, I'm not, you know, a guy that shoots up uh, 10,000 rounds a, a weekend. And so, that I looked at that as like, man, this is, this is, you know, I love, I like guns. Right. So, but you look at that and it's very tough to make money in that because there's so many people trying to do it. Whereas if you, you know, got into something, you know, well, and so, you know, say you're in construction and you figure out a way to make a living in that business, which is also crowded, but let's just use as an example is that, you know, I look, I know so many people that have great companies that also get to hunt probably more than I do, even though I work in the hunting industry. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think it's, you know, it's that you have to be in the hunting industry mm-hmm. to, to make money. I think if, if there's something you love or something you can provide value 
for, that's the key. You know, at the end of the day, like you're going to get paid for the value you create. Mm -hmm. And sometimes in a competitive space that can be very hard. So not to discourage anyone, but I think, you know, like you have to be realistic. I got a good buddy, uh, Tony Treach, who has a construction company and he hunts way more than I do, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so like, I, I don't think it has to be ex you know mutually exclusive that you're, you're in the hunting industry. It's doable, but I would always say like, you know, make sure you can provide value, you know, mm. in something you're going to try to create if you want to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, and that's, I think the hard part is like a lot of people, a lot of people want to be entrepreneurs. They just don't have like, how do I create value? Or mm. I think they just like, well, what's my business idea? And I think that's kind of the wrong approach is to come at it like, Oh, here's this business idea. If you have a business idea, that's great, but it, it's, it's just the start, man. It's like, then it's execution. And to get to execution, you have to have passion and you have to understand it. So, you know, that's kind of my advice. Like go for it. If you want to be an entrepreneur, go for it. I think it's one of the greatest things I've ever done. And it's allowed me to hunt more than if I had a day job or had to be accountable in any capacity. But you know, at the end of the day, it's about providing value. Yeah. I don't know. Is that, is that a kind of roundabout way? It's probably not yeah. the answer you're looking yeah, for. Yeah. It's great. And, and you hear a lot of guys that are, that are in construction that hunt a lot. Uh, but there, I mean, there's other ways to do it for sure. And I think that, um, have you ever read the four hour work week? <laughs> yeah. Okay. That, so that was the book that changed my world. Like sure. That one. Yeah. That, I mean, li quite literally that was, I read that book and I was hunting, you know, and, and running a company. I was like, Oh my God, this was, this is it. You know, I just like these guys go to the beach or whatever. I just want to hunt all the time. Right. And, exactly. and that was kind of like what put me on my path to, to getting where I am. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I've, I've, uh, I've actually not made it all the way through that book, but I kind of got the gist at some point and I was like, okay, I understand what's going on here and I'm not, and I just, I don't have the drive to make money. Like that's not what drives me. A lot of guys do. Um, yeah. and so like, it's hard for me, uh, because, um, like, you know, I, I, uh, I have a wedding films business and, um, like I don't do a ton of them. I could probably do more. And I just, but I'm just like, when I'm sitting there, uh, during the day and I'm, and I pull out my computer to edit footage like I always end up finding myself finding an excuse to edit the footage from like last week's fishing trip or whatever <laughs> instead of this wedding, you know? So like, it just is so tough. And I, I look at it like, man, if I had the drive to make money, I could probably crush this wedding thing right now, but I just don't. And, uh, yeah. I would rather watch KC, you know, shoot a turkey on, on video <laughs> or whatever and edit it up. So I don't know. You know, I think I've said this before, but like one of the, you know, my faults, if anybody can learn from one of my mistakes was like, you know, at first it starts with, I just, and this is my 21, 22 year old self is like, man, you just want to make money. You don't want to like make money on your own, doing your own thing. Right. And then you make money and you realize that you're like, oh, well now I'm making a lot of money, but I don't have any time. So you have to figure out a way that makes money, but also gives you time. And then, you know, you're like, yeah, you finally do that. And you build a company and you're like, yeah, I got money and I can have time. And then you like, you don't have purpose. And so like, this is like what they call the entrepreneur journey. And a lot of people do this is where they, they start up this ladder of money. And then they realize like, oh, this ladder doesn't go anywhere. And so then they like have to climb down that ladder and go up a different ladder. That's money with time. And then now they have those and then, and then like they realize there's no purpose. And so they have to climb and figure out a different ladder and, and that's fine. And that's kind of like been my thing and you know, what I've watched a lot of other entrepreneurs do, but it's like, 
just because you like have a business idea, like there's a lot of variables that go into that. And like, you've noticed like, yeah, I got my own wedding uh, videography business and you're like, man, but I'd rather be hunting or I'd rather be doing this. Mm. And so it doesn't have that passion for you. And so now you're like, how do I create a company that gives me money and time and is also, I'm something I'm passionate about. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so what aspirations do you have in regards to like hunting and, and business and stuff? You kind of asked us about ours earlier. Uh, sheep was mine. <laughs> Seychelles was KC's. What, what are, what are you looking at, man? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think it's an ever changing target, uh, for sure. You know, I've definitely gotten bitten by the sheep bug in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, something I want to do. Have you, you been? Know, I, no, I have not. I've never been on a sheep hunt. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping to go next year. One of my buddies is moving to Alaska. So I told him we're going sheep hunting, whether he likes it or not. <laughs> yeah. um, but, uh, you know, it's like, I, I've been to sheep show a number of times and like, I, there's something to me, I'm not driven by money by any stretch of the imagination. I really don't care. But at the same time, like there's an, something to be said for those self-made guys that were able to do a sheep slam, mm-hmm. um, for whatever reason, like, I think there's like a, a certain amount of accomplishment to me and I don't know, maybe that's wrong or right. I don't know. But like just watching guys that have like done a sheep slam and been self-made, that's pretty cool to me. Um, and so like the part of that, I don't think that's like my biggest drive in the world for sure. Um, I'm sure it'll change over time, but you know, like just being able to go on new hunts, um, I'm still an elk fanatic. So exploring new elk country and, and killing a big bull is always on the top of my list. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know, just like it's being able to go different places and I'd love to go to New Zealand. Like that's one that I just keep threatening to do year after year, <laughs> find excuses to be too busy. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, do you have kids? Uh, I got one on the way. So All right, dude, congrats. congrats, congrats, congrats. Yeah. So, well, okay. So, so this may all come to a crash. That's what I, I was about to say that, but, I, but then I decided to word it differently. Um, <laughs> how do you, how do you balance that drive, uh, with like the selfless selflessness that's required, um, of a man who has a wife and, and a kid on the way, you know, uh, but a kid eventually. Dude, that's like, that is definitely one of my biggest fears and or concerns or like just unknowns. Um, you know, we fear the unknown and like <laughs> me looking out, you know, I can, I have a lot of friends that are like, yeah, you'd be all right. You know, and then other friends are like, yeah, good luck hunting ever again. You know, and like, so you get a lot of that. And I don't, do you guys have kids? I have two. I do not. Okay. So I, you at least have a little bit of my understanding of like, oh man, you know, what's it going to be like, you know? And I think that's like yeah. the biggest fear because like, yeah, you want to be like the rock star dad, but at the same time, you know, you want to chase your dreams. You want to do these things. So it's like, you're balancing the selflessness with selfishness. And, you know, for me, I guess some of my mentors growing up, I look at it like, um, I didn't have the greatest of those figures. Well, I, I had great figures, but I will say like they were workaholics. And so, but I respected them because, you know, their accomplishments and what they did. And, you know, like, yeah, it sucks. You know, no one wants to get woke up at 5 a.m. and have to go to work. But, like, I think that's a big part of what made me who I am. And so, like, I may have hated my, you know, parents at the time. But then, you know, when you grow up, you're like, yeah, that's created, like, insane work ethics. So you always balance that, right? Do you want to be the cool dad? And I guess that's kind of a question to you. Like, how do you balance being the cool dad with – also being a dad that like is going after his dreams. Yeah. I mean, to me, my kids aren't 
quite probably old enough. I've got one that's seven and one that's three. And so like, mm-hmm. they're not probably quite old enough to, <clears throat> for me to like, um, be hard on them too much, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. They're just, they're, they they're don't know any better. Sweet things right exactly. Now. Yeah. They, they really are, man. And so, um, like I'm, I still can be the cool dad. So I'm not looking forward to, um, to tr- trying to be like, my dad was pretty hard on me. Um, and I feel like I probably will be as well, but I have a lot of my mom in me. And, um, so I'm not looking forward to like the disciplinary <laughs> side of things, you know, uh, I just want them to like be respectful and act like they're supposed to act. Like, why can't they just do it? You know? so, <laughs> uh, but then, you know, in the sense of like balancing time and that kind of thing, um, uh, there's definitely like uh, guilt every once in a while, and sometimes just uh, you know, obviously like pure just missing them uh, as well yeah. um, when you're when when I'm gone. But uh, being that I am self-employed and I kind of make my own schedule, um, which tends to make me pretty broke as well, um, <laughs> I, I, I have the ability to like uh, not work on any particular day really, and so yeah. uh, if there's like some kind of thing I didn't know about, donuts with dad mm-hmm. or something at the school, like I can go up there spur of the moment pretty much most of the time and partake in that, or you know, when they come home from school at four, like I'm there, and a lot of dads aren't, yeah. aren't back till 6 p.m., you know, or whatever, so um, I definitely... Uh, get to spend time with them uh, that other dads may not that work a lot so it's kind of it, it is it's a, it's a constant battle though like internally I struggle with it all the time and, and try to figure out like where the balance is so it's tough man yeah and I, I think that's right I think it's like it's a pendulum you know and like I'm, I'm probably the worst husband in September but I'm you know, <laughs> trying to be the best husband the other you know six eleven months out of the year yeah. you know that make up for it and so like you know you hear guys like man how do you get to go hunting so much well you know I guess first it's like choosing a good partner that understands, um, understands your life and right. your lifestyle. I think, you know, my wife came into this knowing like this is a lifestyle and she, she kind of came from a world of, you know, backcountry skiing and mountain biking. So she understood the lifestyle side of it and not that like hunting's like this hobby that we do one week out of the year. And so yeah. I think that's a huge part of it and just being open. You know, I, I, I see the struggles with guys that, you know, get into hunting late in life. Um, you know, maybe there's significant other views hunting as like this hobby on a weekend or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you see guys that struggle with like trying to, you know, two, two weeks a year to even hunt. Yeah. Um, but I think it's like, you know, obviously it's always about communication and, but it, it's also about being there you know, so, so if you're going to be gone two weeks out of September, just being, you know, ultra husband or ultra dad, the other 11 right. months. Yeah, dude, communication's key, man. Like, um, I feel like that, that, uh, that is what keeps you from like having some weekend booked, uh, in September, right. You know, the middle of September yeah. or whatever, you know, like, or, or during the rut, you know, in November or whatever, like communication is, is key. So yeah, on that note, I told my wife, I was like, was, we were trying to have kids and I was like, man, if it doesn't happen by January, it's not <laughs> yeah. happening. I just yeah. want you to know that. Like, yeah. Yeah. I'm sleeping I've, in the barn. <laughs> <laughs> I've, uh, I've talked to my wife about a lot about that. And I think that she, she's on board with the whole, like, at least the first go around, you know, we're going to plan on trying to where a kid is born January on. And then after that, yeah. you know, it's going to be like, you know, whatever. But at least for like those first, like that six month window, we're going to try to hit it and see if it happens. Yeah. But yeah. in our, uh, and you know, I'm pretty new to marriage too. We've been married like two, a little over two years. Um, and um, f- for us, it was kind of a struggle because, well, uh, we kind of had a long distance relationship for a big part of our dating 
life. So she didn't get to see my day in, day out. It's like how much time I dedicated to, you know, my, my life of hunting and that sort of thing. And my job was somewhat outdoor oriented for a little while there too. And then she comes from a family that hunting was like a one weekend a year kind of activity. And that's what she thought hunting was. And of course, like as soon as it started, it was kind of a a difficult time, but, uh, she's, she's kind of, understood and now is like totally on board with with where i'm at on on what hunting means to me and and it kind of culminated the other day actually like i called her like uh pretty overjoyed with a tag that i'd drawn and like she totally understood it uh dude, call a spade a spade you were crying <laughs> i was dude i was crying and uh, she joked with me she's like you didn't even cry at our wedding i was like but yeah you know i talked about it the other day but like uh like it was like I didn't expect that, you know, and, and it just kind of was overwhelming, but, uh, um, I don't know. She, she got it and that was cool. That was like, it, it made me happy and it, and it was kind of comforting that like she understands like how enjoyable and like how, how, like what a blessing that was for me. And like, which maybe she doesn't like, she don't want to do it, you know, but like she gets it and she gets it's my, that it's my passion. And I yeah. guess on that note, like, okay, this is where our worlds cross like you and I, man, uh, you're, you're a self-proclaimed elk guy. Well, I go, right. And yeah. so I'm, I'm a, you know, kind of an Eastern whitetail kind of guy, but I love the adventure. I've been going elk hunting for a while. My parents have been, been going, or my dad, you know, started back in the eighties. Like it's like, we do the elk thing and I drew a 16 B Gila tag this year. And the- for me, it's like, I can't, I couldn't believe it. That's why I cried. Right. You know, like, it's just like yeah. unreal. Okay. But I'm looking at it from the the aspect of like a Texas guy who like just read magazine articles about the Gila when he's growing up and, and like just thought it was like this magical place. Can you give me some perspective about this hunt, this tag, and like what I really maybe should expect? You know, just like you being a Western elk guy. You know, like what is what would that like a tag like that? What's it mean to you? <laughs> Uh man, this is we well we are talking about this, and I think we need to do an entire podcast on this. <laughs> okay. um, so <clears throat> it is, oh, man, it's a the tag is like insane. But I've also known a lot of guys that went in there thinking it was going to be like a bop it game where they just got to choose which one they were going to hit. Yeah, and it's definitely not. Like yeah. I'll tell you that. Like then this should be any tag, man. Like so many people draw good tags. And they like, oh yeah, I hit the lottery, man. We're gonna show up, drink some brews, and walk out there and shoot a 380 bull. And it's just like not the case, yeah. you know. And I think I think most more people than not get humbled by good tags yeah. because they go into it without that mentality of like I'm gonna have to work my face off. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not saying that's the case. I'm just saying like, man, I think that's my number one advice is go in there like you have an OTC elk tag. Ooh, and well, I've had and, those a lot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would. I would go into it being like, man, and cause like this has happened to me and it's happened to so many people as you go in and you're like, oh, I got 10 days. Like this is the best unit in the state. And all of a sudden, like you have a hard five days and also now you, you only have five day hunt and, mm-hmm. and whether or not you get it done and a couple things don't go your way and you pass up a couple good bulls and all of a sudden, and that's not to say that you should <laughs> shoot the first bull that walks out, but at the same time, like just understand, you know, what, what you're going into and, and approach it that way. Yeah. Having said that, having said that, there's also something to be said for like, don't use it, not using the same tactics that you would on an OTC hunt. Yeah. You know, like 
uh, I've had good tags to where in my early days I hunted it the exact same I would, you know, just setting up doing some cow calling and things like that. And it was just like, you don't have the time to, to funnel through those bulls to where it's like, you know, the, the, the strategy used on that 280 uh, raghorn or 280, you know, satellite bull last year is not going to be the same tactic that you use for 380 bulls. Yeah. You know, I just, I just don't run into a lot of smaller bulls or cows because of my tactics. Cause I'm only going after herd bulls. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, so it's a twofold double-edged sword is like go in after 380 bull. So meaningfully going after herd bulls and use your time efficiently, you yeah. know, hunt it. Like it's the hardest hunt you've ever had. Yeah. So I think that's my two, two rules of thumb. I would say for drawing any like great tag mm-hmm. is, you know, work your face off. I, <laughs> I love it, dude. Yeah. I, honestly, like I look forward to that, that work your face off stuff. It's kind of weird, but I, I talk about it a lot. Like I hunt an experience more than I do a specific animal. So like just the Healy experience is something I look forward to. And, and like, I want it to be that experience you're talking about, like going there and hunt for something I've never hunted before. Um, and I yeah. think, of course, I'm not going to know like my biggest struggle of the trip until after we get back. But like looking forward right now, I think for me, one of my bigger issues is going to be that whole, I mean, I've never drawn a tag in my life and this is the first one I draw. Okay. So <laughs> it's, it's like, it's, it's, it's weird. Like I've grown up hunting OTC Colorado tags where you shoot the first four point you see and yeah. I've, I've done that and, and it's exciting. Um, but it's going to be really weird, like having to potentially pass elk that are way bigger than anything I've ever seen before. You know, which is, which is hard. I used to tell people like set a number and stick to that number, but the older I get and the more I've been around that, I think it's, it's a little bit tough to do, you know, set an experience. I I think it's important to set an experience because you'll second guess yourself on the number thing Mm -hmm. and you'll know when it's a shooter, like you'll just know, like when there's pee running down your leg and you're like, Oh, that's, (laughs) you know, that's a shooter, man. And so like set yourself up for that experience you're looking for. Um, and I wouldn't stem off that. Like you can easily go into the Gila and say, you know, Oh, I'm only going to shoot X, Y, Z. And then you never see it or you never know if you're supposed to shoot or, you know, you second guess yourself in the time you should have just shot. So I would say just like envision the the circumstance or like the scenario that you want to happen and when it happens pull the trigger yeah yeah yeah. dude that's that's so good man that's like it's exactly what i need to hear because quite honestly like i want to kill a mature bull i want to kill an older age class bull right but and i've Mm -hmm. got like a number in mind you know i think everybody should kind of like what you said but honestly like if a giant five comes in with 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 broke swords, like, uh, but he's just a big old Heavy. gnarly brute, I need to, like, I know that like me two years from now will wish I would have shot that bull because he's like just an old gnarly brute, you know. And but like if you go in there just with such a such a number in mind and you're just hunting this score, like you could leave there and pass a bunch of bulls that you should be happy with, you know. Yeah. And and I, like I. I I want that call calling an experience. I've, I've done it some and, and OTC, you know, and it, it's awesome. And I think that that's, you know, that's why, that's why it is what it is, right? That's why it's the Gila. That's why it's like that New Mexico mystique, you know, it, it's like you go there to, to do the kind of thing that you see on highlight reels. And, uh, no, for sure. But and I mean, like, I always look at it like when you're, when you're 80 years old and you look back and you're like, man, that hunt, you know, it was fun, but I never found a 392 bull, so I didn't kill anything. Yeah. <laughs> or you're going to be like, 
man, that 320 bull came in and screamed in my face, and I just gave him, you know, ten yard shot. And it yeah. was the most epic hunt of my life. Like, yeah, that's gonna yeah. be fun. Um. Okay. So three questions that I'm worried about. Uh, <laughs> And, and like I said, I've been on two sheep hunts, uh, so I have some ideas, but like, uh, you know, they're wall tent, horse camp kind of stuff, and we're probably going to be doing some backcountry off of our backs. Um, I need I need a backpack, I need a tent, and I need, um, I think I'm going to get some new boots, but my feet are really narrow and uh, tend to blister up on the heels, so I need something real comfortable. I've worn like some, like Columbia, kind of like... Uh, you know, they're like a boot, but they're like a tennis shoe kind of thing. But mm-hmm. and those are really comfortable for me. I've got some boots that I wore in sheep country, but we didn't do a ton of like real steep hiking. Uh, but when I get on those steep slopes, sometimes I worry about that uh, hot spot on the back of my my heel there. But uh, anyway, I need just like a quick rundown of some some tips, general thoughts on that, or like even some gear that you really love in those uh, aspects. So, I guess we'll start with boots i have not found a good pair yet and i get yeah. this question all the time and i honestly i just i don't have a good answer because i've never found something that met all the specs for me and mainly that's just because i destroy stuff i don't know if i'm just hard on stuff or what yeah but um i've never had a pair of boots that felt like it lasted as long as the dollars i paid for it yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, and so that's kind of my problem with the fancy boots i do think they're good like i, I rocked tennis shoes for years like probably the first two times i hunted in new mexico i was probably wearing tennis shoes if i'm real honest um cool. so i you know like the where you're going, it's a little bit stiffer country. Uh, it depends on what kind of ankle strength you got and things like that. You know, anymore, I tend to wear stiffer boot and I don't know if I'm just getting old or what. Actually, a lot of it's my, my accident. I, like I used to have really good ankle strength. I have like virtually zero ankle strength anymore. Yeah. Um, so I can relate. <laughs> yeah. So I have to wear some stiffer boots for that. Um, so I, I honestly don't have a good answer on the boots. Yeah. <laughs> I okay. wish I did. I just don't. That's cool. But, uh, you know, pack wise, I would say, so, I mean, my stone glacier, I, I love that thing. It's light. I, I used to have an outdoorsman and when I switched to stone glacier, I didn't realize how great the world was, uh, <laughs> because like my stone glacier loaded, I think weighs as much as my outdoorsman did empty. Uh, <laughs> like it's insane. So, um, I love my stone glacier pack. It's been awesome. I've stacked that thing with an entire mule deer, uh, over well over hundred pounds. So, uh, I know it can handle the weight. Uh, the one thing I will say, I know, uh, is it Casey? Are you a pocket guy? That's Tyler. Tyler's uh, a pocket. Yeah, a pocket yeah. Things. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I like him too. Don't get me wrong, but like Tyler, Tyler's a pretty pocket, pockety kind of fella. <laughs> He's a pockety guy. <laughs> yeah, yep. really likes his pockets. He yep. does. Uh, <laughs> so as you know, Stone Glacier, I, I run. So I don't have any pockets. They're very minimalist type pack, and it's very lightweight. But the benefit is like you can have like these. Uh, I, I call them pods or whatever, like little bags uh, that you put inside. So all my stuffs in separate pods, and so. I'm a minimalist and I'm not a pockety guy. I just have like little pods of stuff that's in there. So I have all my kill kits in one, all my like, you know, small stuffs in another. It's like little miniature junk drawers um, that I just stuff all in there. <laughs> that's cool. So that's kind of the way I go. You know, Kapar is a good pack too. Um, if you like pockets and accessories and stuff like that, they usually, you know, if you're a pockety guy, I would say, man, look at Kafaru. Uh, <laughs> if you're not, the Stone Glacier is awesome. It's light. I love how light it is and it works great. So this is kind of my two, I guess, go-tos um, cool. on packs. Um, as far as tent, 
uh, depends on what I'm doing. So I have a whole array of tents. Uh, if I'm kind of basically going to be harsher weather, things like that, I will take my stone glacier. Uh, it's like a two man, uh, small tent backpack, very light, but it's durable. Like we're talking nasty weather. Now, if I'm looking at like, say New Mexico, Mexico, like that, that season can get really nasty. Like as far as rain, Mm -hmm. you can get some serious thunderstorms in that one. Uh, if I'm say I have a tent next to the truck or something, I'm always using my seat courthouse, uh, which is a bigger kind of wall tent. I've packed a horse packed it in, um, a number of times too. I really like that tent if I have, you know, the room or whatever. So if I'm not something I would backpack in with, mm-hmm. but so if I'm backpacking, it's usually a stone glacier. And if I'm next to the truck, it's usually my seat courthouse. Those are kind of my two go-tos. Gotcha. Are you guys planning on spiking out? Or are you guys bivying in? Uh, what are you doing? Yeah, we're going to, we're going to, I guess. So here's the deal. We're not Western guys. So I, I get the terminology mixed up, of course. Right. So the idea is leave the truck with packs loaded with everything go in x amount of distance and then sit up i guess what you'd call spike camp or base camp or whatever and then hunt out of there um i don't like the idea of like having pack on or like um camp on your back all day long every day it just seems like too much to me i don't know and maybe it's just because i haven't had enough experience doing it but yeah that's kind of that's kind of the idea at least And, and here's the way i'm approaching this thing and tyler and i've talked a lot about it like everything is on the table right now right like yeah. but that's that's kind of where we're at at least what we think is the best plan so like being six or seven miles back possibly and camping there for several days possibly yeah is that's that... not what i would do no? <laughs> really? what, what would you do <laughs> so i mean well i have horses so it'd be a little bit different but yeah, if sure. i didn't have horses say if i was going on foot um so base camp is usually at your truck so i would have my i would have a pretty mobile camp i would not get comfortable um almost never get too comfortable so uh, you know i'm gonna have multiple areas and because it's a wilderness like you gotta go in um and so it kind of reduces how mobile you can be there's only so many entry points but like i say here's how my camp would look i'd have my truck and i'd have my courthouse and i'd pop a cot right there have you know my little traeger on the tailgate and i would be that would be base camp from there i would spike out I, in New Mexico, I might just take a tarp. I don't think I'd use a full tent just yeah. because no grizzly bears are going to be chewing on my feet. Uh, <laughs> so it's really not that much. Like you talk about, like I'm going to take three days worth of gear and I'm just going to go. Um, I'm going to try to cover run ridges and just go as far and as hard as I can. Uh, and wherever I end up is where I'm sleeping. The problem with like elk they're big animals that cover a lot of ground. Yeah. And when you go in and say like, Oh, here's camp for the next three days. Like you can hunt everything around your camp in one day, screw it up. And then you're like, Oh, well now there's nothing here. I got to yeah. hike four miles. So I would go very light when I go in, you know, I'm going to take a jet boil and a tarp and, you know, maybe three days worth of food tops. And I'm just going to cover ground and wherever I end up at night, that's where I'm sleeping. Uh, you know, try to find water when I can. Yeah. And the point of that is just to cover ground right. until I get a feel for like everything, just because I know you're new to this area. You know, I, you guys, I'm assuming not going guided. So you're not going to have any like acknowledge of where elk are or anything like that. So for me, it's a base camp and it's spiking out. I'm going to come back every two or three days and refuel just so I can stay mobile and well, cover your, more ground. Is your base camp moving? Like, are you going to different trailheads every time you go in and make those loops? 
possibly if I made a loop and I didn't get, I didn't see a bowl or didn't get any action I wanted. Yeah. I'm probably going to like make a decision right there and be like, okay, do I want to go to a new trailhead or do I want to come back in here? Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of what I would do. It just, that's why I say a mobile truck camp and not be like, you know, this is it. And some guys do that. They'll set up a wall tent and just be like, okay, I'm hunting essentially the West or East half of this unit for the first two weeks. And we're, or the whole two weeks. And we're just going to drive down to this trail. So I can camp here, drive an hour and then, and then start hiking in from that other trailhead, which is doable. So you could have a mobile camp or you could not. To me, it doesn't really make a difference because rarely am I there. Like there, you know, maybe every two or three days. So maybe hike in and you're only in three miles and you're like, you know what, let's go back out, make camp. We can get back in here, you know, no problem. Two miles. Like you can cover that and sleep in the cot. So I have a cot with my tent set up at the truck and then I'm spiking in. Whereas I always have my tarp and my jet boil. So if I'm like, man, I went in a two miles and all of a sudden this elk went another four, but I'm staying on him. Like, yeah, let's go for it. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Makes so that's kind of how I look at it. Um, New Mexico, you know, you can cover a lot. Sometimes you can cover a lot of ground. And so you could drive over here and check this out. And, you know, I like having a mobile base camp because it never ties me down. So, you know, the seat outside courthouse, I could set up in two minutes yeah. and just pop it up, throw a cot down. And then most of like my totes and my, my grill and all that's just staying in the back of my truck. So I'm just using the tailgate as a table and that's it. You know, yeah. that's this extent of my, essentially backcountry camp base camp, so to speak. I got you. And so from there I'll just spike out. So for me, it's about covering ground, you know, New Mexico can be few and far between with elk. Um, I don't know that particular unit, but it's wouldn't surprise me if you went, you know, 60, you're hunting two spots that were 60, 80 miles apart. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's just how it is. Yeah. I mean, so the more mobile you can stay, the better. Yeah. Makes sense. And I mean, of course I'm going to break down the unit, you know, map scout wise and try to go out there a little bit and, and do some pre-scout or whatever. But, um, yeah. is that tactic. So earlier you talked about like how you have to restructure the way you hunt, right? Because you're, you're going in to hunt a different type of animal in a different situation than what you would like in an OTC unit. Is that yeah. style of hunting like kind of geared towards that herd bull hunting because you're going in and looking for specific elk and covering ground, trying to find that specific bull? Yeah. I mean, obviously you have the later season, so most yeah. of them should be herded up. Yeah. And so the only thing I say, and this isn't something you have to worry about. So when I say that like I'm hunting a specific way to hunt a big bull is like I'm targeting the herd bull. So I'm looking for the herd and that's why I'm covering ground and I'm locating, 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 or I'm glassing, you know, depending on how thick it is, I'm either going to locate or glass. Uh, but I'm not setting up in cow calling. Like it's just not a thing, not at least not in the late season. Yeah. Uh, maybe, but realistically, like I'm probably going to spend 99% of my time glassing or locate bugling. And when I hear a good bull, I'm going to, you know, try to dip just depends on how thick it is or what the scenario is like, you know, in that country, if it's open enough, then you could probably, you know, just set up an ambush or try to slip in when he's doing, you know, when it's chaos or something like that. Uh, to where I'm not going to just go out, say I had an OTC tag in Colorado and I just wanted to fill the freezer. Obviously I'm going to try to cover ground, do some cow calling, you know, try to just find elk. I'm looking for any elk. Whereas when I go premium unit, I'm obviously looking for the biggest bull. The biggest bull is probably somewhere near a herd of elk and, or the herd of elk. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so I'm, I'm specifically looking for those and trying to be efficient with my time. Whereas like 
working north facing timber slopes and cow calling is not being efficient with my time. That's wasting time. Okay. Uh, that is stuff I need to know, man, because I literally, <laughs> and this, and this is like the thing, right? So like, I just, I need to work on this whole changing my mindset a little bit because <laughs> man, you, you punched me in the gut actually, because the, what I look at on the map, I'm like looking at all these drainages and seeing what north facing slopes are there and which ones to hunt, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and if that's, if that's inefficient, then I need to really kind of look at the broader broader way of things, I suppose. And, and I don't know. And, and, I mean, to each his own, like, there's just depends. But I would say, yeah, in my opinion, it's inefficient. Yeah. Like, I could spend an entire day working in North Face and cow calling and only cow, and probably I'm going to, you know, I'm going to end up cow calling in some raghorn and he's going to spook. And obviously, if there's a big bull in there, it's going to screw that up. So yeah. I just waste. That's that's day one. That's yeah. one day gone. I can't get it back. Yeah. Whereas, you know, if I'm like, <laughs> okay, I can glass from here. I can look over all of this country. You know, that's going to give me a better idea of what's going on. I need to know the big picture. I don't need to get in there and say, like, you know, say the first two days. I don't need to get in there and call in every single bull in the unit because the the reality is like you don't have enough time to call in every single elk in the unit. Yeah. You just don't um, and play guess and check on which one's big and which one's not. And so, you know, you have a good tag like that. You, you really got to be efficient and you be efficient by spending, you know, maybe entire first two days glassing, learning, covering ground, you know, maybe cast out a couple locates and be like, okay, it sounds like there's three bulls in this drainage. I'm mm-hmm. going to sit up here and glass tonight because I know there's three bulls in this drainage, which probably tells me there's cows, which now I want to, I want to see what that herd bull looks like. Yeah. So you, that's how you hunt herd bulls. And not just, you're not trying to hunt every elk in the country. Yeah. Dang dude, that is some gold star info right there, man. <laughs> uh, so, okay. This kind of brings up kind of a broader question. All right. So you're a herd bull guy, but, but just kind of in a more broader sense, an elk guy in general, why are there elk guys and muley guys? And why, why are there not people who just like, like to hunt? You know what I'm saying? There is, there is. And like, so my, my buddy Ryan Lamper is like, he's, I would say both. He tends to put himself in the mule deer guy category. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's, it depends on your style of hunting, right? If you love getting in there and screaming at elk, uh, then that's your thing. Some of it boils down to the country you put yourself in, right? Like mule deer guys tend to be high mountain guys. Elk guys tend to be mid mountain guys. Yeah. And that's like a weird way of putting it. But at the same time, like high Alpine basins don't do anything for me. Like rolling Creek bottoms with Aspens, like that's sexy to me. Yeah. Yeah. So like if you're a mid mountain guy, like, man, you, you tend to like elk cause that's where they are. And if you're a high mountain guy now there's, I'm sure there's a ton of exceptions to that rule. Um, but you know, there's guys that I don't know, like both. Yeah. Listen, I'm just trying to shoot a whitetail in the mountains. How do I do that? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I see that's funny because like I love I grew up blacktail hunting, which is there's different variations of blacktail hunting. So there's we call them valley bucks, which tend to act more like whitetail, and then yeah. there's mountain bucks. And and so there's like I look at say Bozeman, for example, there's still like we have more valley whitetails. I think these are mainly like they act like valley. I don't think these deer and I could be wrong, I'm not a whitetail expert. Uh, these deer act more like what I consider like Midwest whitetails versus, uh, say in parts of Oregon, there's true and parts of Washington as well. Those bucks, those whitetail bucks act like 
mountain bucks. They act like black hills or like no deer. So they live in the mountains, you know, in these rolly type country. And, um, they just tend to out, act like mountains. You know, they don't follow creek bottoms. They don't have bedding areas and, you know, food, you know, food areas or I guess mm-hmm. you know, feeding areas. So like, it just depends on it's uh, to me, it's more about behavior than about location. Right. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I've but just there been, some, there's some big white tails. Yeah. yeah. Dude, I've got tails. the itch to, to go do the, even if it is kind of a Valley deal, like I just have the itch to hunt in a Western state and especially like early season when we're still have a ton of mosquitoes here and you know, it's hot as all get out. So my favorite mountain whitetail is late season. Like I love, cause in Oregon, the whitetails tend to rut really late. And so it'll be like first week of December, just ruts going crazy. Sweet. And that's fun to me. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. Sounds cool, man. What makes the West so cool? Like why is that? Like why is the place, cool. man? Cool, man. <laughs> I don't know. Is that? I mean, so it's like not. Um, we're not really eastern, right? Like we're kind of down here yeah. in our own little thing. But like for all intents and purposes, in the hunting scape, we're eastern hunters, right? Yeah. Like we don't. Uh, a mountain to us is like something that's three hundred foot tall. Uh, but <laughs> like for us, like you, you look towards the west, and it just seems so cool and so like. Adventurous. It's adventure, man. Yeah. yeah, it's adventure. It's the unknown. Like, there's just not a whole lot that's unknown about the old Frank place that's 40 acres, and you're gonna have whitetails on it. There's yeah. just not a lot that's unknown, you yeah. know. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's the unknown. It's the adventure. It's the big mountains. It's there's a little bit of fear, you know. I think a lot of guys like to do the backcountry thing because mm. it's so it's so unknown and it's challenging. And there's a lot of pieces to it. And I, and I appreciate that, you know, like there's something to be said for going hunting and, and not being the top predator anymore, yeah. you know? Yeah. Well, that's part of the reason why I have not ventured much north of Colorado in my hunting adventures. <laughs> <laughs> I've told Tyler before, I mean, and we went, you know, went to Bozeman last summer and uh, we're thinking like, we're cool. Like there's no grizzlies down here on the Galton or whatever. And we talked to our buddy, uh, Garrett Long. I don't know if you know him, but he's like, y'all don't have bear spray what are you doing (laughs) (laughs) so i don't know those those grizz scare me man but i think that like that's something that i might need to conquer one of these days not like killing a grizzly but just like overcome that fear and go up there and hunt in that grizz country and just deal with it you know and and see what that feeling you're talking about not about not being the top predator is all about yeah no, for sure. You guys, there's uh, actually a, a really cool course. I'm going to screw this up. I think it's like Tactic Montana or something like that. Yeah. Um, we've talked about it before. I should really memorize this. <laughs> uh, but it's a, it's a bear course. It kind of like helps you, I guess, not be not take away the fear, but like help you understand, you know, what to do in bear situations, um, how to, you know, how, how to act in it or how to operate in a bear encounter. Um, and they had, like, I think they did it last weekend and they had, um, you know, an actual grizzly bear, you know, one of the Hollywood ones, not, not, a, not <laughs> the one they found in the woods, but, um, yeah, just go through that. And, uh, I know my buddy Todd Orr was out there, did some speaking. I think that's, that's big. I think there's a lot of unknown around it. I think the more time you spend around bears, the more comfortable you get, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Yeah. Um, you know, people get a little more comfortable, um, which, yeah, like you said, can be a bad thing, but I, you know, I think there's something to be said for conquering that fear and, and kind of going on a backcountry hunt in bear country. And, and yeah, the first time it's scary. You, every time a stick breaks, you scream like a little girl, but you know, <laughs> I, 
it's a part of the fun, man. Yeah. I screamed like a little girl when a bird surprised me while I go. It was real close. Don't get me wrong. But yeah. Yeah. whoever invented putting grouse in grizzly country is a real asshole. Oh, because grouse, oh man. Every time like, it would just be a like, dead quiet. And like, it's really quiet. And a grouse will spook from like two feet away. Oh yeah. It's like an Apache helicopter too. It's not like they're yeah. just like a little surprising thing. It's like the loudest noise in the woods. Yeah. Golly. Uh, Cody, thanks so much for your time, man. I know it's, it's been a long one, but I appreciate it. We appreciate all the information uh, personally. You know, like we talked about earlier, the selfish side of things here. Uh, we are very glad to get this information about uh, the elk hunting and everything, the trip that we're going to be uh, taking taking on in September. So um, are there any plugs you want to make, man? I know you uh, sure sure people want to listen or listeners want to connect with you and uh, go ahead and throw those out there, man. Yeah, I mean, you guys can catch me on my podcast, uh, The Rich Outdoors. But also, if anybody wants to go on an elk hunt, we're, I'm giving away an elk hunt this year. So someone, one of our Patreons, so we, a little bit ago, we started a Patreon account. And uh, we're going to give one of those lucky Patreons a trip to come elk hunting with me. All expenses paid. You're going to get to go. I think we're going to go to Idaho and just do whatever kind of hunt you want. If you want to do a backcountry hunt, we'll do that. I know not everyone's into that. So I'm game. I'm, I'm pretty open. I've told a lot of people, like, if anybody's got some certain type of hunt they want to do, cool, let's do it. If you want to go in the backcountry, we'll go in the backcountry. If you want to hunt from the truck, we'll do that too. So essentially, you know, we're giving away a free hunt with me uh, in Idaho this season. So if anybody wants to in on that, Head over to our Patreon accounts, uh, patreon.com forward slash the rich outdoors. And all you got to do is sign up. If I think we have a couple different tiers. So if you're a tier one, you get one entry every month. And if you become a tier two, you get three entries every month. So we're going to draw that coming right up, I think, June. So if you want in on it, you better get in. Uh, yeah, I think June 5th or 6th, somewhere in there, we're going to be announcing the winner. So uh, that's going to be pretty cool. Other than that, yeah, guys, catch me on the Rich Outdoors or everything else, the Rich Outdoors. Cool, man. So any chance that I win that elk hunt if I sign up? <laughs> hey, you know what? I tell you what, if you win the elk hunt, I, well, I'll go to New Mexico and just call for you. <laughs> okay. Bad to the bone. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we could use it, man. I'm a, I'm a newbie at the calling thing, so uh, for elk at least. And uh, I, I aspired uh, uh, probably over 10 years ago or so, I aspired to be a – a uh you know duck calling contest you know one of those guys so i'm not too bad on duck call but the elk elk thing is uh, pretty foreign to me being from texas so dude i think it's a great it's an easy transition in my opinion from you know i used to do a lot of duck calling a lot of turkey calling all that growing up and uh i think that's helped me be a better elk caller or, or vice versa it's just like you understand calling and understanding you know watching the ducks and what their behavior is doing uh, and, and all those things that go into it. But I, I definitely think if you're a good turkey caller, you can become a good elk caller for sure. That's good. Uh, <laughs> Casey, what do you think about my turkey caller? <laughs> talk and make some turkey sounds, you know. <laughs> it's all right. Well, anyway, we're going to link to all that so the listener uh, can go and check all out the uh, Patreon and the other social aspects of this thing. Also, check out his podcast, uh, The Rich Outdoors Podcast. Cody, thanks a ton for doing this with us, man. Yeah, anytime, guys, and good luck this year. I hope, uh, hope, you, hope you the best, man. Like, I, I really hope you just kill a giant out down there. All right, thanks, bro. Appreciate it, dude. All right, guys. See you, man. A lot of stuff to think about there, dude. Oh my goodness, man. Uh, that's why I had, co- I wanted to get Cody on the show. Yeah. Because he's just got such a different um, viewpoint 
or, or outlook on this hunt than what I know to have. Mm-hmm. Not that not that like I have a different viewpoint, but I just don't know to have what he's talking about. Right. And a lot of things he said, I just I'm really gonna have to break down and think about it. Like the one that jumps out the most is that maybe a uh, true spike camp scenario or whatever you call it, like mm-hmm. just go in, set up camp and hunt from there isn't the best plan. It's it's man, I just didn't think that like making loops like three days, go back to the truck, go somewhere else, whatever was was the way to go. But I don't know. There are there are aspects of it that are appealing. You know, I guess you get to run a lighter pack. You get to uh, just kind of see new country a lot more. And I don't know the aspect of not having a having to hike an hour back to camp every night uh, in the dark and lose that sleep and lose that uh, I guess just that uh, relaxing time or whatever that you might need decompression after a hard day of hunting there's some value to it yeah it for sure man I, I, I definitely see I mean it's it's pretty similar to what we were we were mm-hmm. talking about doing and and I guess the main difference is like actually carrying the tent on your back mm-hmm. um, but yeah we, I mean we had talked about basically having that tent set up or that camp set up back in there and spending three or four days and possibly coming out you know yeah so. I mean it's <clears throat> I don't know I've been kind of against that whole, like, you know, uh, camp on your back thing. But if you really start thinking about it, what's an extra 10 or 12 pounds in your backpack? That's mm-hmm. really not much when mm-hmm. you start talking about, like, weight on your back. You know, yeah. if your day pack's going to be 20, that's going to be 35. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, if you're talking about day one of, of nine days, you know, if you're prepared to stay in nine days, that's a lot of food you got to carry around oh, with you. I know, dude. But I think maybe that's the whole like benefit of making the loop thing or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I would just hate to get in there and on day four you need food, but you also are in the mix. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you just haven't been able to get it done because yeah. of the wind or something like that. Got to you know? kill to eat. Yeah. Because turkey tags are a hundred dollars a piece. I ain't paying a hundred dollars <laughs> for a turkey. And I looked up this week. There's no grouse in that unit at all. Oh, I was so, kind of wondering about that. So. I kind of thought there would be, but apparently not. So it's going to be fish or bust. Whoa. Mm. There is a lot of fish, though. So. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. That is good, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I'm looking forward to that. I'm actually going to spend some time this summer out there, I think, uh, a couple days. So yeah. I'm going to do some fish scouting. Trying to incorporate it into my, <clears throat> my little loop, too, some way, somehow. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, cool. I mean, you and I have talked about spending some time <clears throat> out there. Yeah, you know, more on just a scouting kind of trip too. Mm. At some point in time, maybe August or something like that. Whenever I, I, the way I see it, at least I don't know if this is how it really works, but I would think around August, those elk are kind of going to be in the same general area they are in September. You know, once bulls start herding up cows and stuff, they might move them around or what whatnot. But um, I think if you see cows in August, especially mid-August, like they're probably going to be there in september too mm. so probably a good time to be there <clears throat> yeah but, a few weeks later. and this is stuff i mean we're going to talk a lot about this throughout the summer and actually this podcast is kind of uh, i don't know you say it's like a kickoff of something that we're going to do a little bit more of this summer yeah yeah i mean i've got a lot of questions man and <clears throat> we're getting some messages from some of our our listeners and that kind of thing and they're, they're super helpful so thank you for doing that and, and uh, if anybody has any thoughts about it, has has any experience with any of this gear or any of the thoughts we're, we're talking about, feel free to reach out um, through social media or whatever or through our website um, and let us know because we're, we're just trying to gather as much information as you can and then decipher it and hit the woods in September, basically. Mm-hmm. And so, um, like you said, we're starting a series. Um, this is kind of like, or I guess this podcast kind of gave us the idea to do this, but it's more short form. Um and it's going to be just like some pretty detailed stuff from like backcountry experts, people who have spent time in the backcountry and say like, hey, what boots do you wear? Yeah. What tent do you use? 
you know what uh, and the, and they're all going to be different you know and so that's the you can get why do you use that and you can start to understand hey that kind of matches up with my mentality mm-hmm. so maybe that's a good one for me you know so we're going to start taking a look at stuff and then you know in, in all honesty like we may have to buy some stuff before we get to hear from everybody because you know things like packs need to start breaking in boots if if uh, which i'm probably gonna I've, I've got an idea on some boots um that i may may take into this hunt uh, that are gonna have to be broken in you know mm-hmm. a little bit so I, I can't just wait till late july to start doing that um so yeah a lot of, lots to think about but it's a it's gonna be a mini series backcountry series and we're gonna start doing that hopefully in june and july and so look forward to that if you have uh i know a lot of you guys uh we have a pretty substantial listener base um uh, all over the place but in texas especially and um, I know there's a lot of Texans that go hunting for elk in Colorado mm-hmm. and New Mexico and uh, even Wyoming. And if you're kind of one of those that it's aspires to that, this is uh, definitely going to be a, a series you don't want to miss. So check it out here. Uh, we'll, we'll make sure and let you know when it starts to release and uh, probably be like one a week kind of thing for a little while. So pretty excited about that. Um, also, uh, speaking to Anthony, like we were in the beginning of the podcast, um, he uh, ended up killing a couple birds on that turkey hunt. And I don't did. think we talked about it. I'm too glad much he yet. did. <laughs> yeah, we are glad he did because, and, you know, honest, in all honesty, if uh, if it had just been you and me hunting uh, that first on that fir- for that first bird, you know, you probably would have killed it. I mean, if you'd have gotten a, a good shot at it or whatever, you know, which bird? The first bird that he killed. Oh yeah, yeah. And, and so, but you know, he was just more in position than anybody else mm-hmm. and you had the camera so it just worked out that way and so it's that, not that we couldn't have killed a bird uh, i don't think but like anthony definitely uh put the hammer on that yeah 60 yard shot or whatever, a long you know? shot. so uh, that film is on our youtube channel it's called spring thunder i think or at least that's what the thumbnail says yeah i think the i think the <laughs> title might just be hunting. kansas turkey hunt yeah, or something so. like that but go check that out it's a uh, it's kind of short kind of fun little watch yeah. you know kind of not like our more like it's a lot different than Hooked was, you know. Yeah. It's it's more of a short form, just kind of like vlog kind of thing or whatever. Yeah. But there's a uh, two birds die in it, yep. so that's cool. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that was fun, man. It was. I got ticked off Dang, so dude. bad. You were so ticky. ticked on, dude. I still the one that bit me itches still. Yeah. What is I, wrong? I've with got me? like 17 like that. They so. still itch. Yeah. Golly, it's dude. Not good. Like. Until really today is the first day I haven't really had it bother me too mm-hmm. much unless I like mess with it. Mm-hmm. But man, it was it's been a itchy thing, and it was one of them little tiny ones. Ugh. I found three in my truck since we got back. That's just not that, good. that like crawled off of me while like we got back in the vehicle. Like <laughs> ugh, nasty. I haven't seen them anymore in a while, so hopefully they're done. So bug bomb. They put the whole a bomb truck. in my truck. <laughs> ugh, that'd be bad. Yeah, we, uh, we're gonna definitely wear some of that. Uh, what's that stuff called? Pr- Promethrin. Pr- Promethrin. Yeah. Or however you say. It. Yeah, we're gonna probably wear some of that if we go back up there next I year. I know it. I know it. I That's know just it, a weird. That stuff. You know, Kansas, Missouri. Um, a lot of that Midwest stuff seems to have a lot of ticks. Yeah. Doesn't it? It's weird, man. Kentucky. Maybe you know, there's Western n- Kentucky. Maybe it's because there's not fire ants there. Ooh. I wonder if that's right. Well, that was the kind of thing around here for, like, when I was a little kid, ticks were a big thing, and they haven't been in a long time, it doesn't seem like. Hmm. There's not that many, and I think it, fire ants have a lot it's to do interesting with it. thought. You don't think it's possums? I don't think. And you know... <laughs> I think the possums around here only eat like 3,000 ticks a year as yeah, opposed to the general 5,000 5, or whatever yeah. it might be. So, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. 
Oh, uh, don't look at that subjects. stat too much, guys. It'll hurt your brain. Yeah, um, yeah. Don't believe what you see in media. That's right. Especially man. if it's you know, if it's just on a, not our media. a Facebook just picture. You know, don't trust it for for uh, the gospel. Maybe. I had to. I had to tell Jet. He asked me, uh, Dad, is there a what did he say a um, a uh, copperhead rattler moxin? Mm. And I said, no, there's not. He said, well, my friend said there was. And I said, well, you just can't believe everything you <laughs> That's hear. That's right, Jet. I said, there's a, there's a, there's a uh, you know, there's a copperhead, there's a rattlesnake, and there's a cottonmouth, and they're all three different species. Yep. But. <laughs> Oh well, that's funny. It's, it's kind of <laughs> it's, it's funny, but it's like dudes don't grow up. Like you don't like there are dudes out there that like are acting like the seven year old was acting, mm-hmm. <laughs> but they're still they're I like forty. You know, being a kid and like you'd like fantasize of the hybrids of the really bad snakes or whatever like that. That's kind of it's kind of cool. Kind of bringing <laughs> yeah. back memories. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, well, I'm excited about uh, these backcountry podcasts coming up because I do have a lot of questions, and this is something you know I did some backcountry stuff in British Columbia. We did some in the Black Canyon in Colorado, mm, which you was... You could call it that. Yeah, I mean, it, it was, was backcountry, but it wasn't yeah. done uh, anyway remotely correct, probably. Yeah. Um, especially, I just always think... The one thing I always think about is that giant tank of peanut butter that you carried down in there. Like, <laughs> what a, a dummy. I was just like, oh my gosh. That I didn't think I even opened it. I don't know why I didn't tell you, like, hey, you probably don't need that, you know? I, I didn't mean, know, man. I, I didn't, didn't know. know. I didn't think about it, really. I was just like, yeah, I mean, I guess he's probably gonna eat a bunch of peanut butter. Yeah. yeah so. I usually do, but I should have also been like, yeah, when the fishing's real good, uh, I don't you, eat anything. you don't eat anything. <laughs> yeah, I just get dehydrated yeah, and no right. die. That's right. So, uh, yeah, it's it's been, you know, I've done a little bit, and I've got to see some pros do it a little bit firsthand but uh which was that's not you in case you're wondering <laughs> um, but uh i definitely have a lot to learn and as far as gear goes you know it's expensive you start putting all the parts together and so yeah, you want to make sure you do the right thing right mm-hmm. so anyway excited to do that uh go check that film out and uh we actually produced a pretty awesome film that we can't really tell you about yet um the other day monday so mm, it's kind of scaly though right it, it's scaly yeah. for sure for sure and we're not talking about turkey scales on feet. <laughs> so anyway be looking for that probably in the next month or so i'm sure you'll be hanging on a limb waiting you know but anyway uh guys i hope you get out and do a little fishing soon because it's going to heat up uh, I guess if you're listening to this from, like, Michigan, then you don't have a clue what we're talking about. Dude, one of our northern friends posted snow today. Yeah. It's like coming a blizzard. I don't understand. What? It's 106 right now. <laughs> 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 anyway, uh, yeah, I hope you're getting into it before it gets too, too, if you're in the south, before it gets too warm. I know myself, I'm heading to the Rocky Mountains here in not too long to try to escape this heat for a little while this summer. But uh, anyway, God bless you guys. And remember, this is your element. Living it. Market House has the cleanest, leanest, juiciest meat and seafood shipped to your home overnight. Expect the service of a local butcher and the convenience of a large supplier. Unlike many online butchers, you can grab just one meal's worth or lock in for a subscription box. Choose from grass-fed and grass-finished beef, American Wagyu, free-range poultry, grass-fed lamb, 
wild-caught king crabs, seafood, and more. For 15% off your first order, use code COUNTRY at checkout. Just visit markethouse.com. That's M-A-R-K-E-T-H-O-U-S-E dot com. And use the code COUNTRY. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins.